Well, our moms think we're funny. Alright, hey everyone. My name is Akomi. Hey, my name is Turk182. Uh, I'm into uh, mergers and acquisitions. What was, what was that? Huh? What was that? Um, I said my name is Turk182. Okay. Oh. Um, well, hey, Turk, you like Huey Lewis in the news? I really do like Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you Don't. know, their early work was a little too new way for my taste. But after sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. No, I would agree with you. Yeah. So, funny story, before we get started on all this. <laughs> That's for the best, because you, you're probably not going to like where this is going. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I told you I've been watching, like, Just Shoot Me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm yeah, in, like, yeah. the last season. The last season of Just Shoot Me, Huey Lewis plays a um, a, a, a guy that, that uh, is in a band with uh, David Spade's character, Dennis uh, Finch. Yeah, yeah. They're in a band... And then come to find out that they're in a air guitar band. <laughs> nice. And, and Huey Lewis plays the the lead guitar player in his air guitar band. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, this Huey Lewis, like, what the hell? <laughs> so, um, have you have you seen the Huey Lewis Weird Al tribute to American Psycho? <laughs> I don't think I have. Oh my god, it's beautiful. Um, you know what? We we don't usually do this, but. Um, <laughs> Alright guys, we don't usually do this, but tonight... Tonight... Yeah, it's, we, we used to. We used to, like, play videos in each other for the other person to react to all the time. So, um... Weird Al... American Psycho... And, the, and b- trust me, everybody, this is actually fitting, um, because of the topic of today's podcast. This is only two minutes, so we, we can do this. We can justify this. Are you going to, like, pause the recording, or how are we going to do this? Uh, we'll, we'll just let, you know, everybody pull it up. It's the Weird Al American Psycho video. It's two minutes and eight seconds on YouTube. Watch it with us. This is a little mini Let's Watch. Well, I'm, I'm asking because, um, because, you know, like, you know, you're, the sound and stuff is going No, it's fine. It should pick up, and that'll help them sync. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't mind getting sued by, uh, by Weird Al. Weird Al's cool. He understands. This is bringing exposure to him. So. Oh, uh, now my screen rotate is not on. Oops. Make sure it works. I don't know if it does or not. I've never had it on. But here you are. I will let you play and react to it because I've watched this a million times, but this is yeah. tremendous. <laughs> oh, it's a funnier dive video. Oh, it's, it's spectacular. Nobody could have. 
You see what the pill bottle said? It said a new drug. No. Because <laughs> your phone won't rotate. And everything's like fucking tiny. That was uh, something they worked on together because of Weird Al's I Want a New Duck. I never heard of I Want a New Duck. I've only listened to it once. It's not one of his better ones, but, I mean, just the fact that Huey Lewis was cool enough to do that is spectacular to me. But, yes, uh, today I want to talk about uh, American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. Yes. So, Brett Easton Ellis, um, you know... Uh, so the uh, American Psycho, ah, American Psycho came out in 1991. Yep, yep. And uh, as much as I hate to admit it, I did read American Psycho shortly around that time. Um, that's fine, but did you masturbate to it or anything weird like that? If I did, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I remember enjoying it. Uh, so the funny thing is that. Um, you know, when it came out, there was like a lot of controversy about it, mm-hmm. and um, and then um, uh, Crowfan, so my, my brother Crowfan, he bought the book and he was like, "Yeah, I got the book that you know everyone was talking about," and um, and I was like, "Cool." It's like, "Can I read it?" And I actually read it before he did. I brought his book and read it before he did. But, yeah, it's kind of a dick move, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Now, that's been a while ago, you know, so mm-hmm. been like way too long ago than that one I really uh, admit, but, <clears throat> but yeah, so it was, um, it was, I remember enjoying it and, um, you know, I took a, I, I think you and I briefly talked about it and it's like, I took a different perspective of it than I think you did. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so, um. But, you know, this is your show, Ace. Well, um, you know, I'll say this much. Um, as a millennial, the exposure was very different for me. Because, you know, I was I was a, a wee bab when, when the book came out. And uh, I was in the throes of, 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 of a cult when the movie came out and we weren't allowed to watch cool movies. So, you know, it, it was really off my radar. But these days, amongst millennials... American Psycho has a very strong meme presence, mm-hmm. and anybody even close to my age knows what I'm talking about. Like, it's just, it's all over. Um, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, there's your age. crazy, crazy, 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not that far apart. <laughs> you act like we are, but we're not that far apart age-wise. I'm, I envision myself as, like, Steve Shimmy, like, hey, kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do, fellow youths? Um, but, yeah, um, so it was, it's, it's been, like, a pretty big presence for me just in the past five or ten years, just because, like, hey, I can always count on some kind of funny meme. So I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to read the book... And I'm going to watch the movie, and I'm going to see if all these people who... Because, like, you get you get one of two reactions amongst millennials, typically. And you've got those who idolize Patrick Bateman. Right. And it's like, I try to pick up women by quoting him. It's like, that's probably not a good tactic. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I don't think that's really going to get you too far. Where, where, where do you want to go for dinner? I can get us in anywhere. Like, okay, it's not, it's not going to work, Cameron. Not going to work. Yeah, man, that's... Um, that's like going people like so um you know so you, you know uh and then name also like serial killers like you know women actually found him very disarming and, <laughs> and, and a pretty charming guy but like but I don't want to hear this. some people say I had the same kind of qualities but like I don't want to hear about that <laughs> um did I tell you that the bodies in my crawl space are not mine <laughs> like, like, did I tell you about the documentary I watched on the night killer mm-hmm. he's he was one of or the night stalker sorry the night watchman um. Uh, the Richard Ramirez? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was so a piece he, of shit. He, he was. I mean, bad, he, I mean he's a serial killer, but he was a piece of shit. Well, I mean, like, there's serial killers, but then there's, like, real pieces of shit like this guy. But oh, he was... Start real quick. Yeah. Because I remember correctly, because I had a conversation with uh, with Redline about them, and I was like, I know a lot about this guy that did, you know, been people that shit. Like, Why do you know about him? Because like, I went to a serial killer face. But um, if I remember correctly, and you tell me, because uh, I don't think it's going to be anywhere where you're headed, is that... um. At one of the murder scenes, they found shoe prints. And this was in the early days of sneakers. Uh, well, the tennis shoes, like running yep. shoes, like, like, like where Forrest Gump got. Yep. And and they were like, we found these prints. So he walked across, I think, the Golden Gate Bridge. And as he was walking across, he threw one shoe over and then the other shoe over. Ah. And See, they, they never addressed that. They talked about the footprints in the documentary I watched, but they never talked about him throwing the shoes over. Right. Because well, he, he found out about that, and he was like, oh, I left footprint, shoe prints, and because these just people didn't, you know, you had, like, um, like Converse stuff back then, but you didn't have, like, really, like, like, uh, like sneakers like we have right now, like, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. when he found out about that, and he, like, was walking across the fence, and he walked across, he threw one shoe over, and then threw the other shoe over, and they were both gone. And yeah. that was the end of that. And those, those were really fucking rare, too. <laughs> Um, I remember that specifically. Okay. And I'll ask you another question about that too, because I wonder okay. if it was in your documentary or not, but I'll okay. let you tell you things too. Um, but yeah, so no, what I was going to bring up is that he, he was one of those serial killers that the women just were all over for some reason. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't get it. Cause like Bundy, yeah, I understand. He was an attractive dude. He was charismatic. He knew how to play a room. This guy, like he's greasy. He's gross. He's got rotten teeth. I, I didn't understand the appeal. Yeah. But, like... He's a bad way I can fix him. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess that was it, but it's like, there were some absolute babes on that documentary who were, like, showing up in court wearing next to nothing, trying to win him over. So right. they asked one of the mothers of one of his victims, they were like, so what, what do you think of all these women who are, who are trying to win his affection and get his attention? She just went, I think they're the dumbest bitches on the planet. <laughs> but, yeah. There you go. You tell them, Susan. I like you. <laughs> Always have. So, um, in your, in your documentary that mm-hmm. you watched, did they talk about the, um, the, the old couple that he killed? Uh, I know he killed several, so. Cause then one I, that I remember saying, 
husband and wife, older couple, and he was attacking the husband, and the they had a shotgun under the bed. That sounds familiar, yeah. And she grabbed her shotgun, she pulled it out, and she pointed at him and pulled the trigger, but didn't real didn't know that 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 uh, her husband had taken the the shells uh, out of the, the gun. Because the were coming, right? Yeah, yeah. And if it hadn't been for that, his ass would have been fucking like wallpaper, and that would have been it. Yeah. And it's like, if, I mean, you hear that story, it's like, oh, whoa, we was that close, that fucking close, mm-hmm. man. It's mm-hmm. like, oh. Yeah, there, there's so many points during his his run that it's like he was so close to getting caught. And, like, the police found out where he was getting his dental work done, and they set up a, an emergency call button, and nothing happened for, like, three weeks. And they sent some guys, and they took down the emergency call button. And then the next morning, they called, and they were like, Why'd you take it down? He came in today! <laughs> All kinds of shit like that. Did they check the Toys R Us? <laughs> now, Roofman, he <laughs> kicked his ass out of there. Um, but yeah, I, I love the story of how he got caught, too, though. Just because, like, the entire community just came down on him and just beat the shit out of him. <clears throat> But yeah, so, you know, I finally did what most people, uh, what most millennials would not do with a meme, and I committed to the bit, and I decided to learn everything I could about Patrick Bateman. Okay. Uh, I wanted to, to truly, to truly immerse myself into what this story is about, because it's like, if it's big enough to, like, affect memes for years on end, it's probably pretty good, you know? Like, people still make memes about Fight Club, and you know how I feel about that. Right. So I hate when they make those memes. <laughs> Damn it, you don't understand what this is about. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I figured, hey, you know, it's probably a pretty decent movie, a pretty decent book. I'll mm-hmm. give it a shot. And uh, I will not say that I didn't enjoy it. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was well written, and the movie was well performed. It was, it was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't dislike it. I'm just going to preface this now, because there's going to be people who have been idolizing Patrick Bateman... And, and they're, they're gonna get upset at what I have to say. I so I don't think the movies or books were bad. I liked them. Okay. I am gonna say. I think Patrick Bateman is a big liar, and I don't believe him. Okay. Okay. So why do you think that? So it's gonna take a little bit to to break this down, but uh, to be broke. But yeah, you know we we got to do what we got to do. So, how, how best to structure this argument? So, it was made abundantly clear by the author uh, that this is a, the, the, the story of American Psycho is a commentary, it's a criticism on yuppie culture. Okay. It's basically saying that people were so fixated on, on living this highfalutin life that they basically demonized themselves. Mm-hmm. So, we've got... Patrick Bateman, who claims that he is uh, a wealthy young investment banker. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 26 years old, I want to say, when the story starts. Mm, this is mid-20s. Right. Mid, um, mid-20s. Mid-20s. So, mid-20s. So, I, I, 26 is mid-20s. I'll go with that. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we start the story off. We get to see a lot of examples of... Uh, of how he lives his life, even before you really see 
the kind of crimes that he commits. We mm-hmm. get to see that, like, oh, they go to these big fancy dinners, they, they have these nice expensive dinners, uh, they, they go to the really pricey fancy nightclubs, they snort, cl- they snort cocaine, um, you know, they debate on, like, fashion and, and etiquette and stuff like that. And that wasn't really the point where I started questioning Patrick's narrative. But uh, looking back, I, I think it's questionable. Okay. And it's one of those things where, you know, and you you never do this because you're, you're pretty proficient when it comes to, to lying to people. That came out sounding <laughs> a lot worse than I meant for it. So. No, 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 but, dude. Uh, I, took, I, I took it as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> hey, thank you. But, you know, when an amateur tries to lie, they try to go into way too much detail. Right. You know, they they, they want to make sure that they've covered all their bases, so they do that, and then at the same time they make sure that they're that they're locking eyes with you and, and that they're not moving their vision to the right and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And so every time Patrick talks about his evening, his food, his clothing, he goes into way too much detail. Okay. Way too much detail. Now, a lot of people who, you know, want to take the narrative of the book and movie at their face value are going to say, well, that's because he's really superficial and that's, that's what he's obsessed with. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's, I think he's compensating. Um. So let me ask you a question. As you're going through here, mm-hmm. at what point do I get to, um, to counter your, your statements. You want me to let you finish all the way through and then go I, back? And I don't know how long it's going to take me to go through, so feel free to jump in at any point. No, no, no I'll just if, if you if you if you've got them like outlines and everything, then we'll go back and we'll start over. Oh no, I'm just kind of skimming over like summaries of the book, and I've got, of course, I've got the book with me. Okay. Um. Now let's see. I'm trying to trying to find the location of where Patrick works. Do you remember right off? Um, it's, it's Pierce and Pierce, yeah? Landau, uh, Landau, Luckman, and Lake, something like that? Oh, I thought, I thought he was with Pierce and Pierce. No, I'm just making that up. Okay. Uh, Landau, Luckman, and Lake is a, um, it's fictitious, like, accounting law firm thing uh, from, okay. like, Marvel Comics, and they were in, like, the end of, um, the, uh, one Deadpool run, um, by Joe Kelly, like, uh, they were trying to turn Deadpool into like a hero, and so they were telling like, "There's this big thing coming up, and like you're going to be a part of it. You're going to be a part of it, and you're going to help save the world." And he's like, "Fuck you guys!" And I'm going to be a part of this stuff. That's not who I am. And uh, anyway, it turned out that it just fizzled out. The whole thing was just just bad. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I just remember that name went out, Lookman Lake. Okay, so go <laughs> on. All right, so Uh, there's there's so many there's so many areas that I feel like I need to address here. Okay. And it's tough. It's tough to figure out what I want to focus on first. Huh? But uh I I say I say I'm gonna start with the job. So Patrick is an investment banker, he says, at Pierce and Pierce. Mm-hmm. And according to his initial narrative According to his initial narrative, that's an investment bank on Wall Street, but he doesn't need to work there. He's huh. inherited a shitload of money from his parents. He's, he's old money, basically, and he doesn't need to work. He just does it because he wants to fit in with the yuppie culture. That's what he says. 
The problem here, and the reason I question that, and the reason why I think that this guy is basically just a 4chaner who's trying to trying to sound cool, you know, trying to trying to brag it up to people. Nobody outside of his actual circle of immediate friends seems to know what Pearson Pierce is. There's absolutely no reputation with this, there's absolutely no connection with it as a business. And what does everybody ask him when he tells them where he works? I don't remember. Everybody, and this happens multiple times throughout movie and book, they always ask him, Pierce and Pierce, is that a shoe store? And he always gets really mad, mm-hmm. gets really huffy, like, no, it's an investment bank. Until the last time it comes up in the book. The last time, it's an old flame of his from back in the day. And she says, Pearson Pierce, is that a shoe store? And he says, yes. It's a shoe store. Okay. So he finally concedes. In your, in your mind. In my mind, okay. he concedes. So my theory here is that Patrick is a disgruntled shoe store employee. He's got his little circle of friends who he, you know, like, likes to pretend are the the cream of the crop, the high the highest society of people, and that he spends his evenings with them going to expensive nightclubs and and talking etiquette and talking fashion. I think the sad reality is that he has a thankless job working at a shoe store. He doesn't want to admit it. He wants people to think. He wants to project the image of success. He wants okay. people to think that he's part of yuppie culture. And instead of going to these these nice, fancy nightclubs, he instead is just, you know, hanging out with his friends or with his girlfriend and doing cheap, weak garbage coke and drinking himself into a stupor. Okay. Any thoughts you want to you retaliate on that? Retaliate? <laughs> that's, I mean, wow. that's probably the... Probably... You're going to retaliate on that <laughs> Um, so, uh, okay, so let's go back to, um, to your, um, you know, your, your initial statement about, um, Patrick, uh, about Patrick Bateman. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he is, now he works in, uh, is it New York or does he work in Chicago or something like that? Uh, New York, he's Wall Street. Wall Street, okay. So he is a investment banker in Wall Street in the 80s. Yep, right. Yep. This is this is eighties. So the one thing I'm going to touch on is that um, Brady Snellis had kind of tackled a similar subject already when it comes to the eighties excess with mm-hmm. Less Than Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as you know, that I'm a big fan of Less Than Zero, the movie. I love the soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. If it hadn't been for Less Than Zero, the soundtrack, we would never have gotten uh, the song that going back to Cali. Right. Um, right. I mean, would you? Would you want to live in a world that didn't have the song going back to Cali? No, I don't think so. So, so you, 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 in that movie, it was all about these, those people were in Hollywood. So he's going from one end of the, of the, of the, the, the country to the other, mm-hmm. but looking at the exact same thing, which is people with a lot of money. Yep. A lot of excess. Yep. Yep. Right. And they're doing a lot of coke and they don't care. Now the difference there in the in the two outside the 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 difference of the of the uh, of the coast 
is that in less than zero, these guys were, were, uh, out of high school, like the first year out of high school, some of them were in college and everything, and they're rich kids with no attachments, they don't have any jobs, they don't have anything, and they're just, you know, just partying and everything and just whatever. They, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. they don't give a shit. As opposed to on the other end, where you've got Bateman, who's gone to college, he's a couple years older than them, okay? Um, and he's also living that lifestyle with the same kind of non-attachments. Right, right. So, and even his job, which he loves, his job means nothing to him. Yep. His, his job, like, the, it's, it's about what he gets from the job, the money he gets, the wealth, the prestige. And that's where it starts to fall apart for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is that for him, as a Wall Street investment, um, investor, investment banker, mergers and acquisitions, he's not like Mike Milken. He's not one of these big guys that are making millions of dollars, right? Right. You know, which of course we know they were all embezzling and all that kind of shit and doing bad side. He's not Wolf of Wall Street, right? He's one of these guys that are, that are really taking advantage of that period of time where there's, there, the money's coming in and you're trading everything also, you know, or very, like, hand over fist. And because it was the 80s, you're doing lots of coke and you're partying out with a bunch of other young rich kids, but you're not rich rich, right? You're not millionaire rich. You're several, like, tens of thousand dollars rich. Mm-hmm. You're not, for him, he's not even $100,000 rich. Cause this stage, right? So you were $100,000 rich. He probably had like maybe thirty dollars to $50,000 in his, in his account. And of course he's still making like, you know, I don't know, like $5,000 a month, you know, or, or maybe more as a, as a, as a, as a trader or, you know, investor, mm-hmm. which in the eighties is a shit ton of money. You oh know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about, like, how much things cost back in the 80s, and you're like, what? Yeah, I mean, back then, like, a quarter could buy you groceries for a month. Yeah, I mean, I mean, hell, back then, like, comic books were 25 cents to 35 cents, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, uh, a, a, like, you look at some of my older X-Men, like, a double-size issue was 50 cents. Right, I right. mean, so, it's now a double-size issue might cost you, like, almost 10 bucks. So, so, you know, $5,000 a month is a lot. This guy has this penthouse apartment. It's decorated to the hilt. He's got hi-fi equipment. And uh, does he cook? No. No. Or so he says. <laughs> he doesn't cook. He eats out all the time. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they do. So even with all that money, he's blowing he's blowing money on crap he doesn't need to do, like eating out all the time. Mm-hmm. He gets jealous at the one guy's business card. Because of like the finish, like oh, it's so great. Because that's a that's a symbol of status to show your show your wealth and importance. Because the thing is, the only people you're hanging out with are other shallow people who have no personality, who have no lives, in the same way that you do. And the only thing you guys do is try to impress each other. But there's so many of you that work in these in the the, the trading environment. Mm-hmm. Stock and trading environment at different levels of different places, and you have to remember how many of these places that were popping up all over the place, and some were big and some were small, and you're still making a shit ton of money. But do I really care about whether you work for like Pearson Pierce or whether you work for uh I don't know what one's the uh I can't think of the one of the bigger like investment places. 
Like, I don't because I don't work there. I don't care about any of those places. I only care about the place that I work at. And they keep trying to impress each other, right? But the thing is, like, you're trying to impress people who feel the exact same way you do, which is, I don't give a shit about you. It's like when you're having a conversation with somebody, the whole, like, you know, in, you know, when you someone's really listening to you instead of just waiting for their turn to speak. Mm-hmm. None of them were actually listening to one another at all. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know each other. They don't know anything about each other. Like, you you may know, like, Patrick Bateman might pay attention to a guy's girlfriend, right? Because he thinks she's cute or attractive and he wants to fuck her. Or her parents might be loaded and he might be able to use... If he had, if he was dating her, he could use that to get in good with somebody else or whatever. But do I know anything about her? Do I know anything about you? Do I care about either one of you? No. Do I even know about your relationship, where you guys are going? I don't care about any of that stuff. None of you guys mean anything to me because you're all just as shallow as I am and you guys don't have anything that's worth investing in. Mm-hmm. And so the business card, he gets so upset with that because that is something that is memorable. Because that shows like me showing off my brand new Porsche or whatever, he's got a Porsche too. Right. We all make the same amount of money. Like me showing off my hi-fi steer equipment is like, the thing is, it's all about who has it first. Because you've got just as much money as I do to get one, but I have to have it first mm-hmm. or else it doesn't mean anything. And then once you've seen it, like, that's old. You know, like, I, I can't show it off to you anymore now. And I'm not going to show it off to anyone beneath me, right? Because it means nothing to them because they're beneath me. I'm only trying to impress people who are on my level who also are just as vapid and vacant as I am. Mm-hmm. And so nobody remembers one another at all. And then they only think about them, like, like the part oh, I'll, where... I'll get, I'll get to nobody remembering each other. <laughs> I was going to say, then the, 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 them thinking about, oh, that guy? Oh, he's a, he's a this, he's a that. Well, because that's how you probably see everybody, because everybody is beneath you in your mind, and you don't really know anything about who they really are. I mean, I, I see what you're saying there, but it seems to only come up where it's convenient for his narrative. As far as as far as introducing people by like the wrong name or just you know uh, uh, g- giving like wrong information about them, that only really comes up at certain times. Okay. Otherwise, he doesn't really have an issue with it. But I think that bespeaks that he's an unreliable narrator. So, how many times does he remember people's names? Pretty consistently when it when it's more focused on. Other aspects. He even gets the names of his victims correct a lot of times. Okay. Not not all the time. But those are people he's fixated on because he's trying to... He wants to be an alpha. He wants to be better than them. But he fixates on them because he hasn't one-upped them yet. As where when they one-up him, right? So if you haven't shown yourself to be a threat to me, I don't really need to know exactly who you are. But I do need to know enough about you to know that you are someone that I can continue to one-up. That you're always trying to clamor up to be where I am. So you're always someone I can shit on, right? To make myself look better because I'm always better than you. You would do the exact same job of sorts, right? Because you're, you're in my, like you're, you're in my, uh, in my orbit, right? But you're not me. So I know enough about you to know that you were someone that I can constantly look at and be like, you're not me, no matter how much you want to be like me. But I have to remember who you are. Just know that you're the guy that I use to make myself feel better by shitting on you all the time because you're not me. 
As we're him, he's focused on them because he wants to be them and he wants to be noticed by them so he can then become that person where it's like, oh, who are you? I would go with that if that were his M.O., but he's not consistent with that because there's also alleged stabbings of just random homeless people or... Or what have you. Or randomly killing a child at the zoo. Well, because who has he one-upped? Nobody. Exactly. I still have to feel good about myself in some way. I have to feel good about myself. And since I can't do it with the people that I consider my peers, because I still haven't gotten like up to their level, I still haven't become best at any of them, I still have to make myself feel good. It's like it's it's, it's like, a, like a Simpsons, like a Barton Milhouse thing, right? Like... I'm always going to have, have to have someone beneath me to make me look like a god, even though in my eyes I'm not. That's the, that's the person that I have to beat to be god. I agree with all that, but I think he's doing that by lying to make himself look cooler. So, okay, who is he lying to then, in your opinion? To himself and everyone around him except his friends. I think his friends are just as... Or, or just get people at the shoe store. Okay, so you're saying that everybody he's talking to, that he's like telling these lies to, or whatever, like they, 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 he's telling this narrative to, they are people that work in a similar job that he does, or work at the shoe store with him. Well, I mean, he presents himself to the public as a yuppie. I think everywhere he goes, he's like, "Oh yeah, don't worry, I have lots of money. I can afford lots of coke. I can buy lots of hookers." I'm that kind of guy. He's trying desperately to go where the uppies go, do as the uppies do, and convince them that he's one of them. Okay. But when you listen to the details of his story, it's where it falls apart. Okay, so he is hanging out with these people, and you're saying that he's lying to them, and that's why they're like, I've never heard of that place that you supposedly work at. But how is he getting in with them? So, Over, it, it, so Overspending? It, maxing out his credit cards? Not enough. So this is why I say not enough is that even in that environment, right? So the greatest thing, which is also the worst thing that was ever invented, was the velvet rope. <laughs> and my understanding, I could be wrong, but the velvet rope was created by Studio 54. I think you're right there. And the thing about that was, and this is like like one of the greatest things about it. And they actually mentioned this as a documentary I was watching the other day that they were talking about the, the Viper Room. Was that... People would stand outside of Studio 54, like, for hours. They would come, mm-hmm. like, every day, oh, waiting for a chance to get in. There's still people doing that outside of Coachella's. I, I, I get that. Okay, so, but here's the thing, though, is that it doesn't matter how many times I stand out there, right? Is that the one time that I get in, because there was a night, may not have been this night, but there was a night that they told... You know, I don't know, uh, fucking Mick Jagger. No, sorry, Mick, you can't come in tonight. But they let me in. Yeah, but and he only goes to like one or two nightclubs. But what I'm saying is, though, the thing is... And they're not Studio 54. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is, that it's, it's that prestige that I got in, even if I only got in once, and this person got denied. Even if it wasn't that night, they were denied. It doesn't matter how many times I was denied, I did get in there once. Right? Yeah. And then they denied him, but why would they ever deny him, right? Mm-hmm. But they denied this person or this person, and that's what built that appeal. He is going to a pretty 
fancy like like club or bar or whatever to hang out in and stuff that is not going to just accept anybody. His clothes have to be right. His look has to be right. He has to know someone. And it's not just about flashing the cash either, right? Because you because before you can even get in to flash the cash, they have to see you and see you as being one of those people. He gets in there. So he has to be one of them. He's not just a guy faking it that works in a shoe store that's flashing all the cash. He has to be in order to just be make it into that club, not just be turned away. He has to be one of those people. Yeah, I don't have to know you. I don't have to know you, but I can look at you and judge you and grade you and say you are one of these guys, and I'm going to let you in. Yeah, except that's not the kind of clubs that he's frequently. What kind of clubs he's frequently? Tunnel. Tunnel. Yeah, tunnel's a good club. <laughs> yeah, sure. Just just like Studio Fifty Four. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that it's a it's a bar and a club for yuppies. Yeah, for yuppies. That is not going to just let anyone else in. Just because you have a Brooks Brothers suit on, right, doesn't mean that you're, I'm going to let you in. You have you have to have the whole look and everything, which and he's which he obsesses over. So he knows how to have the whole look and everything. But he's faking. I'm saying like there's. For, okay, so a one Brooks Brothers suit is not enough. Two is not enough. And you have to have something that you have to have that that whole that presence that that mentality that you just can't fake on your own. And then not, well, I, I think I think he obsesses over it and studies it really carefully, and that's why he pulls it off. So so he gets in there, right? He's spending money he doesn't have. He, he may have it. Maybe maybe the rich parents thing is true, but I mean, they're... He's in rich parents and he works at a shoe store? I mean, it's possible. It's possible. So, okay. So, think about it. So the thi- thing is, he never once goes into the details of what he does at his job. He, he, he goes out of his way to say that he just fucks around when he gets there. He goes there, he sits at the desk, he listens to music, he leaves. He, he doesn't know the finer details of investment banking. You know Why? They don't give a shit. Like they I mean he no and nowhere in any of his conversations does he really need to explain what he does or does anyone really ask and be like, "Oh, please tell me more about that. I'd love to know exactly what you do and how you do it." They don't care. Which again, it, that's convenient. <laughs> Plus, on top of that though, you look cooler if it makes it seem like you make all this money for not doing any work at all. Oh, I go in there, I don't do shit. I just screw around all day and then leave. And I make a ton of money doing nothing. In their minds, I mean, if you say to it like, yeah, I go in there, I work my ass off every day, like, dude, like, I don't want to hang around with some of this. We're not about working. We're about having fun and doing coke and getting lots of money, right? Like, that's the thing. They, like, you don't want, they, they don't want to hear about people that are actually working because that's not the cool thing. Working is not the cool thing. Yeah, it's all based off of perception, which means that his reality doesn't matter. But why would I go into detail about telling you about something that you don't really give a shit about because it doesn't mean anything to you? Like you, like you don't care. Like, and, and plus, if you if you work the same kind of job that I do, then you already know all this stuff. Who 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 am I telling these details to? The only person I'd be telling those details to is someone that doesn't know because they don't work that job. In which case, I'm not going to talk to you. You're beneath me. Mm. No, because he goes into excessive detail for... I mean, I'm talking from the perspective of him as a narrator of the story. Okay. he He's going into detail on a lot of things 
narrating the story as the writer of the book, as the narrator of the film. But he's, okay, so you say as a writer of the book. He's not writing a book. No, but he's, he is the narrator of the story. He's a narrator, but who's he telling the story to as a narrator? To the reader. No, 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 I mean, no, no, this, no. Is, this is where suspension of disbelief comes into any first-person perspective story. Well, what I'm saying is, like, he's telling a story, but who's he telling the story to? He's not writing a book. So he's not writing a book that you're reading, right? He's telling a story, and but who's he telling the story to? It's definitely a, it's a, it's going to be an oral tale. It's a verbal. He's telling you this, but who's he telling it to? He's telling it to you. Right. But who am I? You're the listener. I mean, this is the issue. This is the issue of suspension of disbelief of any first-person perspective story. Okay, what I'm saying is, I have to before if we're, if we're taking if we're saying he's not writing a book, he's narrating this story and he's telling us all this stuff. I have to be someone that is worth him telling the story to. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna just say let's say just just for the purposes of that the person that he's telling the story to is the cop. The cop that they asked him about the different people or whatever, and he's telling this whole story to him. All right. Or maybe he's telling the story to someone new that came to work at his office. And he's trying to show off to them, but like, this is what a big guy I am. Because if I'm telling you a story and I'm telling you about all the people I killed and how I got away with it, right? Like, like who am I telling the story to? It has to be someone that's worth hearing the story. I'm not just telling it to anybody. Someone that I feel is worth hearing this story, and someone that is going to be impressed by the story, too. So I could be telling it to the cop because maybe I feel that, you know what, you can't do anything about it. Um, or, but more than likely, though, he's telling it to someone that he's trying to impress. I'm thinking it's probably someone new at the firm that he's like, hey, you know, I'm a big wig here, and I'm going to show you, tell you exactly how big I am. Now, he's only telling you the stuff that he really wants you to hear. The other parts of the story, right, are like the reality of what you see or what you know. Like, people not remembering his name properly. They're like, no, you couldn't have done that or whatever. Um, but of course, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm telling you all the stuff that I want you to hear. Especially if you take it from my perspective where he's trying to impress people because... But those like, points do come across in the story. There are people who forget who he is or who talk shit about him. Right, but I'm not telling I'm saying, like, there, those are things that you're finding out as the... Um, as the overall, like, as, like the watcher, right? That's still part of what's narrated in the first person is, is him talking about moments where he, like, bursts into tears, uh, upset over somebody's opinion on a certain restaurant's pizza or, or somebody forgetting his name or some of the shit that, like, people have said about him. Okay. So, so it's not a flattering narrative. Again, one of the one of the first things he says in chapter one is that he goes home and tries to jerk off, and he can't even can't even bust a nut properly. Okay, so that's when I still have to go back to who is he telling this to? It's I mean it's never explicitly stated. There's there's not some in universe thing where I mean not not even in the film is there some in universe thing. It's just my name is Patrick Bateman. It could be self reflection. I don't know. Uh, so, Which brings it back to that would be him lying to himself. So again, that to me that's that's an important part of his like who's he telling the story to? Especially if he if he's being in what could be considered brutally honest, right? And 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 I'm I'm at disadvantage here because I haven't recently read the book and all that. But if he's being that kind of having that kind of honesty about everything, 
But like, you know, oh, these guys did this. They made me feel this way or I cried or whatever. So you wouldn't be telling that to someone new. And you wouldn't be telling that to someone you want to impress. And you wouldn't be telling that to even, like a, you know, to a police officer. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that, if anything, he's saying it probably to himself. He's saying it to himself in a moment of self-reflection because, going back to my thing, he doesn't have anyone else, he doesn't have anyone to talk to because none of these people have any real attachments to anybody. They don't have anybody they can really open themselves up to. Even even like their, their girlfriends or, or fiancés, they're not really attached to their, their conveniences. You're rich uh, or you have money, I have money, right? Um, and you're the kind of person that... that uh, for a, a man of my stature should be engaged or dating a person like this. And you feel the exact same way. But do we care about each other? No. Am I fucking around on the side with someone that I'm actually really attracted to? Right. But that would never marry. Just that, you know, then yes. You know, same thing with both of them. They would probably get married and they'd probably stay together for a while and never really address the fact that I don't really like you. I don't really know anything about you. And, and until it got to a point where like, oh, now after we've had like, kids and we've raised them they've like you know graduated from college like now i realize that you know what i really don't want to be with you i never wanted to be with you we never had anything in common let's go ahead and divorce so who is he talking to he's talking to himself because that's the only person he actually has to talk to i don't think he's doing it in a travel travis bickle kind of way where he's like talking himself in a mirror but i think that in his head he's saying you know like this is how he feels and this is why he does what he does the only, but it's not a confession. The only way I would go along with that is when he's critiquing musicians. But even that, like his critiques of musicians, that has more to do with him saying, if you're not familiar with this person's work, you should check it out. Which is where that kind of thing starts to fall apart. Why is that? Because if he's reflecting to himself, if he's narrating to himself, he doesn't need to be like, oh, hey... I here's here's what I really like about Whitney Houston. Well, I'm gonna be yeah, I'm gonna be brutally honest here. I do that. You do that, but you don't tell yourself, "Hey, if you have if you haven't checked out this Whitney Houston album, you should," because you know. Here's one thing of saying I like this thing versus saying for the layman, for those unfamiliar with this body of work, this is what's cool about it. No, I do that. I don't. I don't. I don't actually speak it out loud. But yes, in my head, when I'm doing something like that, I do have conversations in my head as if I was talking to someone else. Because I'm a lonely fuck that doesn't have anybody <laughs> to talk to. And there are things that people that people around me don't give a shit about. You know, that that they don't care about that stuff that's really important to me. It's like and like I want to have a conversation where I can share, like, oh, I really like this. Or hey, let me tell you about this comic book story arc that was really awesome. I don't think anybody can tell that too, right? So who do I tell it to? I tell it to myself in my head, talking to somebody else. And I do have those things where I'm like oh, talking to someone else. Interesting. Where where I where in my head I'm envisioning myself, you know, I kind of like say as if I'm talking to someone and I'm telling them about about this whole thing, right? And I'm saying, Oh yeah, you should really check it out. And no, and by the way, um, if you haven't read this story too, it ties directly into this. Obviously, I know what it is. I'm the one that's saying it, but I'm having a conversation with someone and sharing something that I really can't do in actuality because there's no one for me to do that with. That's also more of like a role play type thing or, or a rehearsal, if you will. Oh, well, in that case, then I'm a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, so, so, but you don't do that, do you? 
Not in that way. Not not the way you're describing it. <laughs> My name's Comey, and I got friends. I play D and D. No, I mean, like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll write out entire blog posts in my head, but that's, that's with intent. That, 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 that's not doing it the way you're describing it. That's not to, that's not to talk down on the way you're describing it. Oh, no, please. Because I'm only lonely enough that I talk to myself. Please put me down some more. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, it's so good. Patrick would have us believe that he's not lonely. That's the thing. This, like, even, ex- like, accepting it at face value, and, and this this is now making me sound like one of the angry atheists in college, but accepting it at face value requires accepting a bunch of contradictions, because his narrative changes, and even Wikipedia talks about how the narrative changes, and it's very confusing to try to follow. Well, talking to myself and admitting that I'm lonely, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, no one really wants to admit that. In the moment, I do that, but I... I don't, it's like, okay, so, oh, getting way too personal here. So, <laughs> it's like, um, it's like me getting ready in the morning and, like, wash my face, brush my teeth, like, comb my hair. I'm looking, I'm looking, like, does, is there anything, is there anything, like, hanging out of my nose? Or is my, you know, do I have, like, you know, spinach from, like, you know, I haven't eaten spinach in, like, like you know, like, three years. So, is there spinach between my teeth? Because if so, that's a problem. You know, that kind of stuff. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror. But I'm not looking at myself in the mirror. I don't look at myself in the mirror. I don't. I look at the overall to see, is there anything like, is, is, is my, is my, my appearance presentable? But do I look at the person in the mirror the way I look at other people? No. I refuse to do that because I don't like that person. So, I am not going to, I'm, I'm not going to look at that and say, and like talk to this person and acknowledge, fully acknowledge that, yes, I am lonely. That's why I'm having a conversation in my head as if I were talking to somebody else and sharing things about something that I already know full well, as if I don't know anything about it at all, because I'm not going to acknowledge and accept the fact that I'm a lonely SOB. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Patrick's lonely, though. <laughs> I mean, uh, he has no friends. He has no life. Everything he has is superficial. Even if, from your point of view, he's faking it, he has because because he's faking. He has no real attachments to anybody. He has no real friends. No one he can call on. That's lonely. And he wouldn't be faking it if he weren't lonely. Because he wouldn't have to. I think he's faking it because he wants to impress people. <laughs> right, but... And and I think I think that's why it ramps up as it goes. The further into the book, the worse it gets. Because it starts off with, oh yeah, I stabbed this guy. Yeah, I stabbed this guy. I didn't even care. I, I stabbed his eyes right out and just left him bleeding in the alley. And then what do you have by the end of it? It's like, oh yeah, here's this girl. I, I bashed her face in and then I sprayed her face full of... Mace, and then I mouthfucked her, even though there's absolutely no way anybody on this planet can keep a boner off if their dick is in contact with Mace. And then I and then I cut bits of her body off and ate it, and then left her body in my apartment for for four weeks. And my cleaning lady didn't even say anything because she's that scared of me. I mean, like it obviously falls apart because it's just a shock value narrative. 
that happens, and, and I've seen it happen with people who bullshit and try to sound cool. He, he just keeps ramping it up and ramping it up, and it's the same thing with, like, his skincare routine. It's the same thing with his gym routine. It starts off with, like, oh, yeah, I'm so good at the gym. I, I spend an hour in the gym every day. Uh, oh, what what's your bench press record? Dude, that's cool. Mine's 10 pounds more. And then by the end of it, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I can do 3,000 crunches in under a minute. And it's like, it, it, it's all just trying so hard in all the areas that he thinks would impress somebody to sound cool. And who is he talking to? I gotta go back. Like, who is he talking to? Who's he, who is he trying to impress with all this? Again, it's, it is the reader. To me, first person narrative is a suspension of disbelief. He has to be talking to someone. He has to be telling this to somebody. It's not explicitly stated. Right, but I'm asking you, who do you think he's talking to? I think he is talking to you as the reader. <laughs> but he's but he can't be talking to me as the reader. I mean, but if he's talking to me as the reader, that means I have to be somebody in the story that he's talking to. I mean, not necessarily. Again, that, to me, is where the suspension of disbelief comes in with first-person narratives. But I'm saying, if you tell me he's saying just directly to me, right, as if he's having a conversation to me, who am I? He's not writing it down. So I'm saying he's not. He's not writing. It's not a diary. No, it's not a book. He's not so, writing it down. It's not presented as that. So who is he telling this to? Who are you in his world? That he's telling this to. Again, it's not explicitly stated. I'm not. Well, I'm asking you who do we? Who do you think though? Again, like, so if, it's if he, not if he, explicitly stated. I, I don't. I don't have an opinion on that because it's not explicitly stated. To me, I am just the the receptor of the story. Okay, so you're receptor of the story, but you. But you can't tell me who you are as a receptor. And no, because like you, there, there's no point where he says, well, let me tell you this, officer, so I'm, I, I can't say that I'm a cop. Okay, but I, okay. He doesn't say, hey, after this, I'll show you around the office, so I can't say that I'm a co-worker. But he doesn't have to, though. I'm saying, since you're saying the suspension of disbelief, he doesn't have to cap it off or, or begin it with one of that. It just has to be that you're the person that, that's, that's being told the story. It could be, you could be like, the person at, at uh, a drive-thru and he's just telling it all into like the fucking clown's head, right? And you're like, wow, this guy is really nuts. I just wanted to give him his Big Mac and send him on his way. So I was saying like, who are, who are you? Maybe maybe you could be a victim of his that he's telling all this stuff to before he kills him to show what a badass he is, right? Or in your case, to try to scare you into thinking that he's something, you know, something to, to be frightened of. Like, so I'm saying, so if you were the receptor of this, like, why is he telling you? Why is he trying to impress you? Who are you to him? The only the only thing I can say is that presumably appear. So which, presumably appear, which doesn't change any of those other possibilities. But I mean, th- that's the only thing I, I that I can safely say is presumably you're a peer. Okay. Does that mean you're a coworker? Does that mean you're a, a client, a customer, whatever? I don't know. It's not stated. No, and that's fine. That's why I'm just asking you, like, okay, so it going along with that, so you say you're a peer, right? Okay, so as a peer, and he's telling you all this stuff, and he's just keep ramping up and keep ramping it up, and you're saying, okay, he's full of shit. Now, so I'm, I'm, I'm working with you on your on your thing. He's full of shit. He's just trying to impress me, and he just keeps saying all these things, and I'm listening to him like, uh-huh, 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 and, and, and no point, because you're telling the story, am I questioning anything and asking any questions like, oh, really? Oh, really? And then, of course, he's like, he's like, yeah, so, you know, and then uh, I killed this guy, and I killed him. He's dead, he's dead. And this cop came around looking for him, right? And the cop was like, oh, where is he? I'm like, oh, you're never going to find him. He's dead. But I don't tell him that, right? And then someone's like, oh, no, no, he's not dead. He's alive. I met him this time. He's like, huh? It's like, what? 
Like, it's like, I, I don't know what these people are. These guys are tripping because I certainly killed this guy. And now that I killed him, I killed these other people too. I'm like, okay. And at that point then, if he's just lying and he's telling you all this stuff, no matter who you are, you know, he's... He's just, he's straight up, he's straight up nuts. He is straight up nuts. Well, what I'm saying, like, he's, like, at that point, then you can't, if, and and to that, you can't believe anything that he says. There you go. What I'm saying is (laughs) anything at all, meaning that as far as we know, this whole thing could be told as he's in a straitjacket somewhere, being told to a psychiatrist, or maybe being told to another inmate, uh, or like, you know, um, sorry, um, (laughs) um, like a roommate inmate, but you know, a, a, a fellow, you know, uh, fucking inmate. Um, and, uh, or, or even, even one of the guards is like, like, Hey, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't fuck me, man. You know, I'm in here, right? You know, I'm in here. Dude, I used to do coke all the time and hang out with people and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, it just wasn't enough for me. So then I started killing people and everything. Cause I'm a badass, you know, I mean, so, so if, if you're saying that nothing he says can be trusted, it can be believed. Okay? Mm-hmm. And he contradicts himself all the time. Then, what is the point? All right there, folks. That was Our Moms Think We're Funny. Let's, uh... Let's give him a hand. <laughs>